And at this point, we're going to transition into hearing testimonies. And uh, the f- uh, every time we do this, we have a couple who will come and share with us about how God saves sometimes by his grace both a husband and a wife. And in tonight's gathering, we're actually going to have two couples get to share, which is... Uh, really exciting and special because that's the first time at any Thanksgiving service I've been to where that will happen. So we're making history tonight. Um, But we're going to begin with uh, a couple that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, We're going to start with Luke and Victoria Amarelli. Uh, That is why Luke did not depart from the stage. They can both stand up here if they'd like to. Uh, Victoria, if you would like to go ahead and come on up. And um, just so you know, when I first moved to New York, I hopped around a bunch of different houses. I lived at the Amarelli house and was a roommate with Luke for a while. And so I am an honorary Amarelli. So um, uh, I'm very thankful that the Lord has done a great work in their lives. And so come and tell us. Victoria's going to start. Caleb was an Amarelli before I was even an Amarelli. So <laughs> that's not really fair, but it's okay. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Victoria Amarelli. I have been a member here at RGF with my husband, Luke, for the past four years. I grew up going to North Shore Baptist Church in Bayside, Queens, um, with my mom and my brother since I was six months old. My mom is a believer. My dad is not. She ends up getting saved after she had had my brother and I um, and started taking us to church with my grandmother in Queens. Um, We went to church every Sunday. I was involved in all the children's ministries when I was younger, I went to youth group. As I got older, I would help my mom in nursery. I would help with the ladies' ministry. Um, Majority of my time was spent in church and around church-going people. Though a lot of my family um, were not believers and still are not, um, I come from an Italian-Irish family. A lot of the Italians, I grew up with Catholic family members. Um, So growing up, it was really just me, my mom, and my brother going to church. Um, Though I was involved, I didn't always want to be there. I would literally pretend to be sick on Saturday nights. It was a process. I would get my cough going. I would go down the stairs, and my mom knew the whole drill. I literally never got away with it, but I continued to try doing it. So, sorry, Mom. I know she'll listen to this and probably laugh, but um, that was my deal usually when I was little. Um, Even as a teenager and being involved with youth and serving in the ladies' ministry, I would just do it mostly because I felt that I had to, and a lot of my friends were doing it too. At that point, the gospel was more of something I knew a lot about, but I did not know in a saving way. When I was a freshman in high school, myself and a few of my friends at church had gotten in trouble, and part of our punishment, um, our parents were told to read and pray with us every night. My mom took that very seriously, which I'm thankful for. And literally every night, me, her, and my brother would sit down. We'd read the Bible together. We'd pray together, which we didn't really do that often before that. Um, at, that at that point, my brother was also a believer. So this was basically a six-month period of me sitting down with him every night and just learning more about the gospel. Even though it was something I'd heard my whole life, it was more of... Um, a way for me to reflect on it and understanding more about God's saving grace in my life and how it could really affect me personally. Um, Throughout this six-month period, one night at youth group, I had heard a sermon that was about Jesus dying on the cross. I don't really remember exactly what passage it was, um, but this was something I'd heard about my entire life. It was not new information. It was very black and white, very simple. But for the first time, I sat there realizing that Jesus died for me, with me personally in mind, and with my sin nailed to the cross. 
I don't think that was the exact moment I was saved because of that time period in my life of sitting down with my mom every night and my brother. Um, it also helped our relationships. I'm very close with them. Um, but it was over a span of those several months of God softening my heart and finally understanding everything that I was taught my whole life. I was 14 when that happened, and now being saved almost half my life. I know that's not really where my testimony ends. Um, God has grown me in my faith since then and through different sin and different trials in my life. Luke will kind of get into some of the stuff that we had dealt with together, too. Um, And I know my walk is something that I will continually need to work on um, through God's help, but really over my life, looking back, even reflecting, I mean, I'm only 27, but I can still see... um, how God has had his hand in everything in my life so far. So this testimony isn't really extreme. It's not super dramatic. But um, for anyone who's grown up in the church or has known the gospel and there's something keeping you from God, just know God is forgiving, he's loving, um, and much better than anything this world has to offer you. So it doesn't matter how old you are, young, old, if you've known the gospel your whole life or you're just hearing it now, um, you know, surrender your life to him now. There's no reason to wait. Thank you. Hello. I'm Luke Amorelli, and I'm her husband, if you didn't gather that. Uh, Okay, so I grew up in a Christian home where the gospel was preached to my siblings and I regularly. Um, My family was always active in church, uh, where we also regularly heard the gospel. Um, Growing up, my family made up about 75% of the people who served in the music ministry, um, it was hard for you to point in any direction in the room in the sanctuary at North Shore and not point at someone that was in my family. Um, uh, but this, that the fact that so much of my family was involved in the music ministry instilled in me a passion for music that led me to my spending uh, countless hours serving in the ministry myself. Um, I was homeschooled from 5th to 8th grade. Uh, I professed salvation Um, for the first time when I was about 13 or 14 years old while my mom and I were going through the Romans Road as part of my curriculum. Um, But I don't actually think I was saved then. I think I was emotional, um, and I think I wanted to make my mom happy. Um, Around that same time, we started to see my mom uh, getting sick. Um, She has a disease called Eds or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar, it's a connective tissue disorder. Um, which causes her chronic chronic pain, um, and she loses the elasticity in her connective tissues and joints. Um, So it's only going to get worse um, over time, um, which for a long time was difficult for me to deal with. Um, In the eighth grade, when I was still being homeschooled and seeing my mom kind of decline more and more, uh, I started dealing with depression. Um, I couldn't understand how God could treat one of his own the way he was treating my mom. Um, And for those of you who know my mom, it, it... you would never guess that she was sick. She always has a smile on her face. Um, and back then, I found that to be nothing but frustrating. Um, and it just pulled me further and further away from God. Um, I'd always known that God had a perfect plan and is glorified in all things, which led to an apathetic line of thought in me. I would think something to the effect of, if God has a plan and is glorified in all things, then what does it matter what I do? even to the point of debating on whether or not putting on, putting on a seatbelt was even necessary. If it wasn't in God's plan for me to die that day, why bother? Um, so soon after I was uh, falling, I started falling deeper and deeper into depression, I started high school. I went to St. Mary's in Hassett. Um, 
and I lived a not so double life. And I say that because uh, for it to to have been a double life, I would it would have required some effort in my church life, um, and there wasn't much. Um, I also started doing drugs. Uh, I preferred to stay numb to avoid confronting my strained relationship with God. Um, I kept things surface level with most of um, my friends or anyone I came in contact with. Um, but I always made sure to be pleasant in public during my depression um, so that no one would feel the need to check in on me. Um, but meanwhile, while I was pleasant outside of the home, while I was home, I was terrible to my family. <laughs> I was rude, short, and dismissive with them. My siblings, I think, took the brunt of it. Um, thankfully, my family was very gracious when later I asked for their forgiveness and sought to reconcile our relationships. I'm very thankful for that. Um, Every day before my dad dropped me off at the train station before school, he would say two things, fight for joy and walk with the king. And at the time, as I fell deeper and deeper into depression and uh, was more and more confused about my relationship with God, it felt like a knife being pushed a little deeper into me every day. Um, One day during junior year of high school, while my mom and I were running errands, my mom had gotten fed up with my behavior and asked me straight up, what is going on with you? Um, and for the first time, I was honest with her and myself and explained that I'd been depressed for years and had avoided emoting for all that time. Um, she was obviously upset but supportive. Um, after that, I felt like a weight had been lifted but still did not seek the things of the Lord. Um, I instead began to prioritize friendships, uh, music at church, and my relationship with Vic, um, all of which were just distractions. Uh, we were in a youth group, which at the end was led by Pastor Caleb, um, where there was a no dating policy, um, which we did not um, follow. Um, so, um, last one, please. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let <laughs> that just dwell on that for a minute. Yeah. Um, I had had a crush on Vic since we were in preschool. Uh, We didn't date through junior and senior year of high school. Um, We prioritized each other in an unhealthy manner. Um, We depended on each other for our happiness, which was unsustainable. Um, When we graduated high school and youth group, uh, which was at the same time, we were finally allowed to be together, but I decided to break up with her. (laughs) Um, And that happened to be a week before her 18th birthday, which was horrible. Um, I realized that I wasn't sure of my salvation or my feelings for her, and I didn't want to lead her on and waste any more of her time. Uh, I knew almost immediately that I had made a mistake in breaking up with her when I got home and broke down that night. Uh, But looking back now, I know it was the right decision at the time. I think I actually cried harder than she did when I was breaking up with her. Um, We didn't speak for about six months, which was awkward because we hung out with all the same people and her brother was my best friend. Um, And then started dating again a little after a year of being apart with the intention of getting married one day. Uh, This, in turn, allowed for us to finally have a healthy relationship with each other, where encouraging each other in our walks became more important. During the year Vic and I spent apart, we both both grew in our faith and learned to rely solely on him for our joy. Uh, One of the key things I learned during this time was that growth in my walk is impossible without seeking godly friendships where I was um, able to be completely open with my brothers in Christ. Uh, True godly fellowship is one of my favorite things that God has blessed us with in this life. I was able to grow pre-existing surface-level friendships into deep, meaningful relationships where we were able to reflect iron sharpening iron, as King Solomon explains in Proverbs 27, 17. Um, 
I had always understood the gospel in my mind, but didn't up until that point believe in it, uh, believe it in my heart. Um, this past Sunday, um, during Caleb's sermon, um, point four was apologetics can change the mind, but not the heart. Um, and in Acts 9, 22-23, we see Paul confounds the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. But after a few days, the Jews conspired to kill him nonetheless. Um, I couldn't help but think about the thousands of times I had heard the gospel from family, friends, and in church, and still didn't believe in my heart that Christ had died for me and continued to wallow in my sin and guilt. The gospel could not have been explained any clearer to me, gro- clearer to me growing up at North Shore. For a few years, there was a banner hanging in the sanctuary that Pastor Ed would rigorously point to during his sermons time and time again that read, the gospel is of first importance. Even after the banner had been taken down for some years, Ed would still point at that spot on the wall where the banner once hung when he repeated, the gospel is of first importance. Once God had opened my eyes, I found an overwhelming joy and peace in the fact that I was a part of God's plan. I finally understood why my mom was able to smile through her hardships, as I too finally saw that my joy as a Christian comes from the knowledge that Christ condescended from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for my sins, and rise on the third day after having defeated death. Uh, I still struggle, struggle with depression to this day, but I'm able to fight for joy daily knowing that Jesus did for me. Thanks. Amen. And um, we very much love you guys. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, At this time, we're actually going to ask somebody who is not as far removed from the youth ministry. We're going to speak, uh, have one of the newest graduates of our youth group speak, and that is Hunter Schultz. Hunter, would you come and share with us what the Lord has done in your life? Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Hunter Schultz, son of Steve Schultz. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, Most of you know my dad, hopefully all of you do. Uh, And he's been a pastor ever since I've been born. Um, He is probably my greatest uh, influence in Christianity. Um, He has basically taught me everything that I know about the gospel. Uh, he, he and my mom uh, have uh, raised, raised me in a very good Christian environment. Uh, I attended North Shore Baptist growing up, up until this church was planted about four years ago. Uh, and while I was growing up, I was a pretty good kid. I never did anything that got me into a whole lot of trouble. Um, but that didn't make me a good person. Uh, I knew in my head, just like Victoria and Luke, that I was not a good person. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I, need, that I needed Jesus. But I knew all that in my head, and that just never meant anything really in my heart. Uh, I know that I could have told you the gospel back then like I can now. I could have said it like it was the back of my head. Um, but it just didn't mean anything to me personally. Um, I heard the gospel my whole life, and you know, going to RGF, I'm sure that most of you know that you hear the gospel every single week. It was the same way at North Shore. Heard it every single week, and then more, because my dad's pastor. Um, and for 14 years, I rejected it every single time. 
Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure why I rejected it because I really did believe it in my mind. Like not once did I question whether evolution was really where it went or um, Islam or I guess any other religion. You know, Christianity was always my foundation. Um, but still, for whatever reason, I didn't believe it in my heart. Uh, I remember thinking that way for a long time really made me sad. I, w- I wouldn't say that I was depressed ever, um, but I, I just couldn't figure myself out. Uh, and I remember one year I was at youth camp. This is, this is the part where I get saved. Um, <laughs> I was at youth camp, and um, it, was, it was my birthday that Monday, I believe. And I was turning 14, and I remember uh, Tuesday, I reflected on my 14th birthday. And I thought to myself, I didn't get saved, and now I'm 14. What am I going to do with myself? (laughs) I thought 14 was like the peak. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) But um, anyway, Tuesday... I was I was really bothered by the fact that I wasn't saved. And uh, I remember we had discussion group that night. Uh, Harry Fujiwara, I think, well, some of you know him. Uh, he was my uh, youth leader at the time, and he is also a very solid pastor. Uh, he got me through most of uh, my youth group years. And uh, I remember, like, in that discussion group, he just asked me, he, he said, you know, why, why aren't you saved? And I said, I have no idea. And he's like, does it bother you that you're not saved? And I thought to myself, you know, I know that the right answer is yes, but honestly, I don't care. And it's not because I, I really didn't care. It's just because, you know, I was 14 and I understood the gospel, but it just didn't mean anything to me. Um, and so that night, I remember going to bed, not even sad or mad. I was just apathetic. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, but the day after, Wednesday, uh, that night, uh, Jacob Heifert preached a sermon about the wrath of God, apparently. I don't know. I was asleep. <laughs> um, I, the, the reason I bring that up is because I know that a lot of my friends got saved that night as well, and it was because they paid attention to his sermon. Um, but I, like, I was so mad from the, from the or so apathetic from the night before that um, I almost like intentionally tuned it out. Anyway, I remember after that GB, who is the camp leader, he got up there and told everybody to lay hands on the people in their group and pray for them. And so I remember I got up, I laid my hands on the chair in front of me, and I went, here we go again. And everybody put their hands on my back, and they just started praying for me. And, you know, I guess, I guess it was a good feeling, but I, you know, I still wasn't, I, I, I didn't feel like it was genuine yet, um, for the same reason that it wasn't genuine for the first 14 years. You know, I, I felt this way before, um, but I, I don't know, something about that night, it, it really just clicked. I remember, uh, later that night we went down to the waterfront where people will 
where people were continuing to pray for me. And I remember the, the one that um, I think finally uh, got me saved, like the final prayer that got me saved, was uh, Jackson Hewer, who some of you know. Uh, he, was, he was in the youth group with me. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, like, I don't, even, I don't even know Jackson that well, and he cares about my soul more than I do. And, and something about that really hit me, and it helped me uh, recognize my sin, and it helped me recognize my need for a Savior, even though I had known that my whole life. And, um, I, I mean, I think that since then, I've just been uh, growing in the Lord, I, I know that uh, since I was raised in such a stable environment, I didn't have a whole lot of trials going up, uh, growing up. Since then, I still haven't had so many trials, but I'm in college now, which I'm sure many of you know is quite a trial, um, especially a secular one, which uh, uh, I forgot to mention that I've, I'd been raised in Christian school also my whole life for all 17 years, so going off to a secular college is a little bit of a different experience. Um, <clears throat> but since then, I, I've known that I've had a heart for God. Uh, I know that I felt much guiltier about my sin than I did for the first 14 years of my life, even the small stuff. And um, I know that one verse that has helped me recently is Hebrews 12.1, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And that, uh, that, is, that means especially a lot to me uh, now that I'm in college and there's so many witnesses, so many people with their eye on you, and you, you've got to stick to your morals. So, thanks. Well, we've heard some incredible work of the Lord, and as you may have heard so far, um, it's, it's interesting when people grow up in the church, how the people of the church view them. And one of the interesting things uh, that we've heard so far is that we have an elder's son, and we have somebody who uh, is part of a worship band, and uh, although she didn't share this, Victoria was just, I think you did share actually a little bit, you were engaged with the child care, she was actively engaged in all sorts of things. And one thing that I've noticed, when I, especially when I was a youth pastor, is people would talk to me about the students, and they would say, that person must be really godly or really walking with the Lord because, and they would fill in the blank with, they play the drums on Sunday morning, or they do whatever, you know, they play in the band, or they participate in the activities. We need to recognize that we need to evangelize our own kids here in the church. So parents, this is a special call to you. What you will take careful note of is that in the first two testimonies we heard, the gospel was primarily preached to them through their parents. And although um, Hunter was not with his parents when he was saved, his primary input was from his parents. This should also, however, be a plug for you who are parents to prioritize getting your young people engaged in youth ministry, whether it's the youth group, youth camp, where Hunter was speaking about having people 
focus in attention for a week at a time, not only preaching, but also discussing with them about the gospel. So that's just a plug, because I know many of you here are parents with young ones that are going to grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Let's teach them and train them and not overlook them. They are not a distraction from your calling. They are your calling. So at this time, we're going to have our second couple come forward, and that is going to be Heidi and Michael Neglia as they come and share what God has done for them. Good evening. Uh, My name is Heidi Neglia. I'm here to tell you how God called me. Um, I grew up in a superstition, superstitious, not practicing Roman Catholic family. Uh, My family is from Colombia and back in the motherland. (laughs) They uh, practice uh, Santeria, which is a mixture of white magic and um, Roman Catholic beliefs. Um, They were very much into it. They practiced a lot of rituals, binding certain family members with certain saints, and it just went on and on and on. Um, I believe that actually my grandfather was one of the head honchos of one of the cults there. Anyway, uh, when they came to the United States, they just said that they were Catholics, and they kind of ceased practicing that. Um, although there were a lot of urns in my in my house, so I have no idea what were in there. Anyway, uh, so I grew up in Woodside with my grandparents. Uh, my mom was very busy all the time. She was working, and I attended San Sebastian's Catholic Church, which is actually next to Matthew Shore's church in Woodside. Um, we went sporadically every other couple of Sundays a year. Uh, we never attended, oddly enough, a church on Easter or Christmas. I don't know why. Um, I guess because Christmas, you know, being good Hispanic, we would be opening our presents on midnight and not going to midnight mass. Anyway, in the late 80s, my uncle, Edgar, was saved, and he went to seminary, and he actually became one of the pastors at First Baptist Church in Flushing, and he was witnessing to my family um, that, you know, that they were going to hell and that uh, they needed uh, Jesus, and my grandparents were like, you know, he's crazy, but it's good that, you know, that he got God. Um... My mom wasn't very convinced, but because of all superstition, she sent me to the Flushing, the First Baptist Church of Flushing's pre-K, where I heard, like, you know, the basic Bible stories or whatnot, and then she enrolled me in Catholic school from first grade to fifth grade. Um, I attended St. Michael's in Flushing, and I completed my communion there in second grade around... Nine to ten years old, my family life wasn't so great. Um, there was a lot of things happening in my at home, a lot of things that a child that age shouldn't be experiencing or seeing. Um, at the end of fourth grade during the summer, my mom, she she told me that she was getting divorced from my dad and that actually the man that had been raising me wasn't my biological father. So there were two bombshells <laughs> to hit a ten-year-old. So time passed. I started fifth grade at my Catholic school, and I completed confirmation. Toward the end of that school year, um, the school was declining. Like, all the teachers were going away. There was kids that were leaving, and my mom was looking for a new school. And she was uh, driving around the Casino Park, and she came across a school called Flushing Christian School, which is back then was in a house. So uh, she enrolled me in this school, and um, this is where my journey to knowing God began. 
Um, the first thing that struck me from the school was the school supply list that they told me that I needed to get a NIV Bible. I had no idea that, what that was. <laughs> uh, I was like, what is NIV? And my mom was like, I don't know. You know, she packed my Catholic Precious Moments Bible, and she's like, you know, let's hope if it's, that's it. You know, A couple of days later, they're like, that's not the version we're looking for. But anyway, but they were really nice about it. Um, I had several Bible teachers at Flushing Christian, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Muchmore, and Steve Schultz was one of my teachers, um, and they were all serious about God's Word, teaching God's Word, and they each had their own ways of uh, presenting God's truth. Um, some of them were a little bit more nicer than the others. I'll let you figure out who's who. <laughs> some of them were more direct. Um, but anyway, part of our Bible grade was that on Mondays, we had to hand in a summary of the sermon that we heard on Sundays. Uh, that was part of our grade, and I didn't go to church. So I was like, what am I going to do? I, I can't fail Bible. Um, so what I did is um, I had a, a study Bible, and inside of it there were mini lessons. So I basically copied the mini lesson to my homework, and that is what I handed in. Um, so toward the end of the year, I was running out of these lessons, and I had to go to church because, you know, I couldn't fail the class. Uh, my friend, Naomi Mahaffey, she kept bugging me to attend her church, North Shore Baptist Church, but I had no way of getting there. My mom wouldn't take me. Um, but at the beginning of seventh grade, I was like, I, I have to go to church because I can't keep copying these mini lessons. And I told my mom, I was like, I, I have to go to church. Um, so... Uh, my mom and I attended, uh, finally attended North Shore, um, and my mom wasn't too pleased with the sermon because Ed Moore kept on telling us that we were deserving of hell and we were worms and um, <laughs> that uh, we needed God's wrath, and she's like, this is ridiculous, let's just get out of here. But regardless, she took me to North Shore, and she dropped me off, and uh, she would leave, and she would come and pick me up again. And around this time, North Shore started uh, their first youth group. So my mom was happy that I was attending church and I was somewhere safe and that she knew where I was going and whatnot. And then um, there were uh, couples in the church that would um, go on, like on Fridays, they would do our lessons, but there wasn't a permanent youth pastor until a couple of months later, they um, hired Alec Millen. You know, uh, so Alec comes in, <laughs> he's giant, and uh, but he was... He was so perfect because he is the perfect combination of goofiness and, you know, but at the same time very serious about God's word. And this is going to be like a funny story, but this is what really opened up my eyes about how much Alec cared about us. Um, we were in youth group, and there was a girl in our, in our group of, you know, our circle of friends who had her sweet 16, and we went to her Sweet 16 party, and we didn't tell Alec that we were going to Friday Night Youth. So we went to Friday Night Youth, and we're, like, dancing and everything. And who comes up the stairs? Alec Millen. And I don't know until this day until how he knew where we were. I have no idea how he found out where the restaurant was, where the party was. But he were, came up the stairs, and he sat down next to us, and he basically said, you know, hey, guys, I kind of missed you at church today. 
And um, even though it was funny, we're like scared to death, it showed me that he really cared about us and that he went out of his way um, to drive from Bayside to Jackson Heights to find out if we were okay. Um, He would preach the word daily to us. He would call us on the phone. Um, Back then, he would beep us, and then we would return our phone calls, and he would pray with us, and um, he would preach the word of God diligently, and he was also there to console us during our teenage years. Um, I think that summer 1999, they they announced youth camp, um, and we were excited because it was a whole week of not being with our parents and just hanging out, and um, the youth camp back then was in Massachusetts. Um, it was such a fun time. I remember we had shaving cream fights, and we were just it was just a lot of fun, but during that time, Ed... Alec and Gary George would, you know, give us these big sermons at the end of the night or in between, you know, between all the activities. And um, they would plead, they would show us the gospel about how we were sinners and that we were falling short of God's grace and uh, that God said his son. And I'm like, I've heard this so many times, just like um, Hunter, that it kind of just flowed in and out of my head. However, one night um, during, I think it was the last night, Thursday night, we had like an open mic night, and uh, Ed asked people or the kids to just go up and say what Jesus meant to them. And then so Alec was sitting next to me, and he like nudged me. He said, why don't you go up? And I said, really? (laughs) And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I went up, and I began sharing the gospel with the other teens there, of what I knew, and then while I was talking, that is when God opened up my eyes to his truth. Um, it was me telling the gospel to the other kids, and that is when when it really hit me. Um, and uh, he opened up my eyes to his truth, and that I was a sinner, and I needed um, a savior. And it was a real daunting moment. I had Mary Jo Finnamore there. I remember her um, praying over me, and uh, it was it was, it was was great. Uh, I came back home, and my mom was all confused. She was like, what did I send you to? And, um, and I said, I really need to attend church regularly. Um, so she and I went to North Shore, and eventually um, God called her as well, and now she loves Ed. She just goes to North Shore. Um, life has its ups and downs. You know, we all have our faith can waver. But I'm confident in what Philippians 1.6 says. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Before we came up, we were going to play a joke on you, and we were going to switch testimonies. But hers is much more exciting than mine. I, you know, it's a joke that I have excited. That was much more exciting than what you're going to hear with me. Some of you may know my testimony. Um, I was brought up a Roman Catholic, as Victoria said, Italian-Irish. I'm Italian-Italian. On Long Island, you're brought up Roman Catholic, but uh, unlike Heidi's family, we were only Christmas and Easter. Um, I was christened. I received communion and confirmation. Um, But that was the extent of it, a very superstitious, typical Roman Catholic family on Long Island. Growing up in my house, I had two loving parents, and my dad was a very hardworking man. He lost his job in the late 70s with the advent of computers, and his best friend at job says, I'm going to take this course. My dad's like, oh, that'll never catch on. 
And so my father lost a very high-paying job being a printer and a proofreader for the Daily News to where they don't need that anymore. So he ended up uh, pumping gas and putting out fruit at supermarkets uh, my life. So he was a hardworking man that I hardly saw. And my mother uh, suffered with mental illness when I was very young. And I have a memory of I was about seven years old. I think we were on the Long Island Expressway, and my mother decides to jump out of the car to attempt suicide. Um, so that's an early memory that I have. So she was committed one of many times, and um, and when she did return home, we had a live-in nurse. Her name was Daisy. She had one of those cars that had like the automatic windows that I had never seen before. So I would love when we'd go shopping, but that's that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> believe it or not, those that know me now would never believe. But as a small child, I was a mama's boy. I was very soft and cuddly, and not what I am now. But in some ways, this is what caused it. I was very soft, but when she go away many times, when she came back, I was hard. And I was devastated when they would take her away. In school, the other kids picked up on this, and so I was picked on and later abused at school. This resulting in my teen years, I became a very hard and angry young man. There were two positives that developed during my teen years. One is I actually developed a hard work ethic based upon my father. I actually worked two jobs uh, for many years when I was a teenager. And I found also an outlet in music. So those are positive, sort of redeemable things. But many negatives also arose when I was a teenager. I turned to alcohol and to drugs and to immorality and then to the occult. All of these were an attempt to numb my conscience and to dull my senses. I developed a deep interest in the dark side of things, not Darth Vader, um, but witchcraft and paganism, which I dove into very deeply. And as Heidi brought up Santeria in her upbringings, very close similarities with superstitious Roman Catholicism and witchcraft and spells and novenas. So I would mix the two, but I was very active in this. Believe it or not, my erratic behavior cost me my worldly friends and relationships. I believe, again, uh, Caleb brought up on Sunday how Ed Moore had told him, you know, do I need to leave my unsafe friends? And he said, no, they'll leave you. I was actually such a not a nice guy that my unsafe friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. They would tell me I'm too much to handle and I wasn't, you know, I would stab them in the back. I wasn't an honest person. So when you got worldly people telling you to go away, there's a problem. By age 19, I felt totally and completely alone. But God, but God thankfully sent two saints into my life in order to care for me and to share the gospel with me. Unlike Hunter and Luke and Heidi in her later uh, teen years, I'd never heard the gospel before. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was. If you asked me what the gospel was, I would have said Matthew, Mark, Ringo, I, I didn't, I didn't know. But these two men were sent my way. The first one was a manager at the supermarket I worked in. If you're from Long Island, you remember Wallbaums. I was a, a produce clerk there. And I was also a student at Queens College majoring in music. So I'm a bass player. So the guy next to me, a guy named Alec, not the same Alec that Heidi mentioned, was a, a Christian. So the Lord sent these two people to share the gospel with me in very different ways. My boss at work, Paul, he used to tell me, Mike, you're going to burn. You're going to burn. I would say, well, I'm basically good. Mike, you're going to be crispy. You're going to burn. And he was a Vietnam vet, and he had a, a, that look in his eyes, and he'd have his coffee mug about this big. I wish I had one now for work. And he'd be like, Mike, you're going to burn. <laughs> My classmate at Queens College, 
was more gentle. He would be like, uh, yeah, that's all good, but Jesus is better. It's kind of ironic because uh, Alec was the Calvinist and Paul wasn't, but Alec was the one, oh, Jesus is better, and Paul's like, you're going to burn. But their witness culminated in the fact in a 1995 retreat that I went on with my friend Alec. Now, I was basically tricked into going on this retreat because I didn't know it was a retreat. I was strung out. If you looked at me, you could see there was a lot going on. So Alex, like, get away with me. Come on, come away with me. We're going to go to the woods. So I, I pictured we're going to go out, you know, in a cabin somewhere and commune with nature and commune with other things that nature has to offer. But it was a campus crusade retreat. I was tricked. And I should have known this because I asked my boss, Paul, for time off from work. And he's like, no, never. And I said, well, I'm going away. He's like, what new age thing are you going on? And I said, well, it's crusade. He's like, yes, by all means, by all means, take a week off. The next day in my locker at work was a Bible. The New American Standard Bible. So he gave me the Bible to take on the retreat, and I went. Lo and behold, I did not get saved at the retreat. I did not give my heart to Jesus. In fact, I came back doubting whether or not Jesus even existed. Paul was devastated. Alec was uh, saddened by it. But one verse made an impression on me at the retreat. I'll never forget it. As they were quoting different verses, they told us to turn to the book of Job, chapter 5. And when I looked there with my own eyes in verse 7, in this Bible, I forgot to bring it tonight, it still starred a little bit. I put a little note next to it. And Job says, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. I can identify with that. Man is born for trouble. I could admit that I was trouble. But I was too in love with the world that I hated. I was too in love with the world that I hated. So another year passed in which God in his sovereignty and in his kindness brought me lower and lower and lower than I've ever been. I was lost and alone. I had no friends. I had nothing. But God in his excellent wisdom and his marvelous grace, decides to regenerate me. Well, he didn't decide. He decided before the foundation of the world. But in real time, he touched my heart. He removed my heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. He caused me to see my need for salvation and the need for the forgiveness of my sins. He granted me faith and trust in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I had not studied it. I was never a visitor at church. The only time I was ever in church was in the basement for AA meetings. I would never go upstairs. So I was never, you know, going seeking. But God gave me faith. And if this wasn't 23 years later, I would say, well, we need to see what happens. Because it was supernatural like that. I believed instantly. There were questions answered I didn't even know I had. I searched for that Bible, and I read it incessantly. God, and I was not a reader. You see me, I'm always carrying a book now. I did not read. And all of a sudden, God created a hunger in me to read his word, and I wanted to know his word. So it was on Friday, May 17th, 1996, when I was 21 years old, I began my walk with Jesus Christ. I was given the desire, like I mentioned, to read and learn his word, and I wanted to spend all the time I could with his children, with the church of God. In many ways, it was a radical transformation. I would walk in Queens College carrying the Bible and people would do a double take because I was very vocal against the things that now I professed. Since that day, I've been given a direction and a purpose in life. 
That's to worship God and to make him known to the world, to shepherd his church. My walk has, has, it, has had its ups and downs, its peaks and valleys. Our road to Christ-likeness is a rocky one, isn't it? But he who promised is faithful, and as Heidi quoted, he will complete the sanctifying work he began in us. Amen? I've had to work out from... Um, I've had my work cut out for me in controlling my rough edges, so to speak. The idol of anger that I'd sculpted, intended, and fed, and worshipped 21 years prior to my salvation is not easily destroyed. It was my coat. It was my cloak. The man of God is not pugnacious, not slow to anger. So by God's grace and the grace extended to me by you all, fellow sojourners, I've come a very long way these past 23 years. I'm extremely thankful to the Lord. In closing, I'd like to share two verses that characterize my walk with the Lord. Two verses that I cling to for strength and dependence upon God and encouragement. The first one is my favorite verse in the world, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I cling to that as the objective truth of my justification before God. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then finally, Mark nine twenty four, where the father of the demon-possessed boy cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And that I cling to in my daily struggle for sanctification. When I find myself falling short and I find myself not being the best husband I can be or the best father I can be or the best elder or the best teacher or the best friend, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. So whether you've come from a broken home or a happy home, whether you were brought up on the streets or in the church, whether you smoked pot in high school or on the math team, sometimes they did both, but Mm -hmm. salvation comes one way, by grace through faith in the life, work, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be praised by the reading of these testimonies this evening. Thanks. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, very, very encouraging. And uh, at, this, at this time, we have one more testimony, our last one for the evening. And that is going to be coming from our youth minister, Gideon On. Can you welcome him as he comes and shares with us what the Lord has done? Uh, before I start sharing about how the Lord saved me, uh, I must tell you that my path to salvation was not an organized one. I wasn't in awe of God's holiness, deeply broken over my sin, fleeing to the cross, and magically following Jesus. It wasn't so linear, but this is God's story in my life. Um, Attention, acceptance, approval. These are three words I use to describe what my pursuits were uh, before I met Jesus. I would seek attention by cracking jokes in class and have people laugh at them. I would seek acceptance by always wanting to feel like I belonged and wanted in my friend groups. I would seek approval by insecurely seeking the nods and smiles of man in all that I did. The moment I didn't get a laugh, nod, smile, or any other sign of acceptance, my insides would reek of bitterness and distress. I believe that a lot of this stemmed from my upbringing, 
which was one without a proper mother figure. My parents got divorced when I was three. I still don't know what she looks like. And the stepmom I grew up under from ages four, five to 19 was not the best one. Rough, domineering, and unkind. There was a lot of fighting between my dad and my stepmom in the home growing up. And so that left my sister and I without the nourishment, care, love, and affection that any child might need. Therefore, I would paddle through life hungry and thirsty for attention, acceptance, and approval, things I had never experienced at home growing up. Things got really bad in high school. I tried to fill this lack of something with girls. And I say this every time. I didn't actually get the girls, right? I just tried to. I have to make that clear. Um, and as I did, I found temporary and short-lived fulfillment in texting girls, walking them to class, being seen with girls by my boys and homies, and doing other immoral activities with them. No regard in life for my creator and my God. All the while, my sister and I were brought to church by a family friend uh, who lived in our basement. Um, He was a college student at the time, when we were about seven or eight years old. It was an Assemblies of God church in Flushing, Queens. My old pastor was big on the message of the cross. Thankfully, he preached the gospel well and often. But growing up, I only knew the Bible stories, typical moral takeaways, and the cross at the mind level growing up. Then, as God started to work in my heart through sermons and Bible reading in high school, I think that's where the work started, I would say I truly started to follow Jesus with my heart in my freshman year of college. As my pastor preached that Jesus died for my sins and took my place on the cursed and rugged cross, I was able to see with my heart that the love at the cross was better than any love that the world had to offer. Whether it was a friend, a mom, a girl, or whoever else, Jesus was, and even now, is much better. I started to fall in love with the person of my Lord and the work of my Savior. Since then, the desire, gradually, was not for new and more friends, girls, a mother's love, Facebook friend count, Instagram followers, and likes on my posts, but more of Jesus and to go deeper into his love for me. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I still struggle with these things today. But now the desire, the ultimate desire is for more of him and his promises that affirm that he will never leave me nor forsake me, Hebrews 13. And that even though I go astray to old ways and temporary joys, that he will still chase me down and bring me back to himself, like he did for Peter, John 21. Day by day, I want to see that he truly is the pearl of greatest price. And most importantly, I cannot help but to meditate and retaste my Savior's love, our Savior's love, at the cross, where he laid out everything for me and loved me, proving to me that a rag like me was worth the life of the perfect and sufficient Son of God. That though he had no wrong in him, he was treated as the violator, the violator of God's law and became the very curse that I had brought forth. He took my place in bearing the punishment of Almighty God, who is now my gracious Father in Christ. 
So now I can truly thank God for my momless, if that's a word, and non-traditional childhood, because through it, I was able to taste what is better, sufficient, and lasting. Attention, acceptance, approval. I found it. No, he found me. Hosea 6, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up. I used to blame my dad for his marriage choices. He's on his third marriage now. Um, That affected my childhood and my upbringing. But now I can say with Joseph in Genesis 50, man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want to end with the words of the hymn, My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. My great physician heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he gave. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And to finally conclude in the words of Jesus, our Lord himself, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. It's a very fitting way to conclude our time of testimonies, in particular because the way I was expecting to continue was to share with you those exact words of Jesus, that there are many in this room who have recognized that they were sick and in need of a doctor, the great physician Jesus Christ. Um, There may be some in this room who have not yet been diagnosed properly, who have not considered the fact that they have in them the great disease of sin and can only be healed by going to Jesus for forgiveness. Uh, Many people don't like to go to the doctor. I don't like to go to the doctor. If I feel like I'm going to die, I still refuse for a time to go to the doctor. But there are occasions where I've submitted and said, okay, I really have to do this now. Um, This past year, I was preaching one day and I couldn't, I literally was watching as the room started to spin because I had a something lodged in my ear that had gotten infected and was causing my equilibrium to be all offset. And so I couldn't even stand up straight. And after several days of that, I realized I have to, uh, have to get this looked at. And um, by God's grace, uh, they were able to remove this and fix whatever was going on there. But otherwise, it just would have gotten worse. And they said, you know, that you should have gotten this checked out days ago, and we would have fixed it much sooner. One of the things that we've heard is that many people here knew intellectually that there was a problem. If you are not in Christ, you know that there is a problem. You know that there is an issue. You know that there is something that is currently separating you from God, that is keeping you from joy. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. You know that there is something beyond this life. Romans chapter 1 teaches that you know something about God, namely his eternal power and divine attributes, because they're on display all around you in the world. 
If you've been around Christianity very much, if you've been around a faithful church or a faithful Christian, you've probably heard that Jesus came and died on the cross. You probably know in some way in your mind, being that you're here tonight, that Jesus is the answer to all of these questions. Maybe you're like me and you just don't want to go to the place you need to go to in order to be properly healed. If that's you tonight, I ask you the same question that Harry Hiku Fujiwara asked to Hunter. What is holding you back from going to the one who can heal you from your sin disease? What is holding you back from going to the great physician and saying, I need your help, please heal me? The reality is, if you go to him in humility and say, I need you for the salvation of my soul, the Bible says that he will never cast you out, that he will never turn you away. If you come to the cross, hearing this gospel and see your need of him, that's the only requirement to be saved, is to humbly say, I need you. So I ask those of you who are here tonight that have lived your entire life in rebellion and tonight are sitting there hearing these testimonies saying, something is wrong. I just don't care enough to do anything about it. I am going to pray in a few moments that God would not give you rest again until you come in saving faith to him, that you would see your desperate need because sleep is a precious gift. We actually read about that in the Psalms. It's a precious gift from God. There's a much greater gift of rest that is eternal rest, the rest that we can have with God forever in heaven. And it would be much better for you to lack sleep now than to lack rest for eternity. And so I'm going to pray in a moment that God would cause you to have this deep realization in your soul that there is a desperate lack of righteousness, where if you stand before the judge of heaven and he said to you, why should I let you into heaven? You should know there is no answer you can give him. The only thing that you can say is I've got nothing for you. Everything that you have now belongs to him. You've got nothing that he wants. The only way that we will ever enter into his eternal bliss with him forever is to be able to say, I don't deserve to get in, but your son came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he paid for my sin. And he rose again on the third day, proving that my sin was eliminated and paid for. And that debt is now gone. And so I have nothing that I can give you, but Jesus has given me entrance. Don't look to me. Look at your son. He has done it all. And so I'm going to pray in a moment for you. If you are that person, if you're one of those who came here for one reason or another, but does not know Christ, if you feel the conviction in your soul that God is breaking down those walls and he is coming after you, do not reject, do not push away, but run to Jesus, run to the cross. And if you want to know more information about that, you're welcome to speak to any of the people that were up here tonight or to myself. We would love to tell you more about what it looks like to live for Jesus and to know him in a saving way. At this time, I'm going to pray for you who don't know him, and I'm going to pray for those of you who do know him, and then we're going to close in a final song. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, you are a gracious God. It is an immense and almost unbelievable reality that you would look at people like us and say, I want them to be part of my family. I am going to send my son to suffer so that they might be entered in through adoption to my family. God, I thank you that you loved us and therefore sent Jesus, the treasure of heaven, 
to live on this earth and live a perfect life and go to the cross and die a death that he did not deserve to die. But Lord, I thank you that he took upon himself the sin of all the people who would ever come to know you in saving faith. Lord, I thank you that he rose again and that he remains as our king and our savior forever, that he will always be standing there at your right side as the advocate for all who will ever be redeemed. So Lord, I pray for those in this room right now who are your people, who are your elect, but have not yet been saved. Those that you have called out from the beginning of the the ages, but have not yet bowed the knee. Lord, I pray that you would break down their defenses that you would break down any rebellion that they have, that you would cause them to see that they are currently an enemy of the most powerful being in the universe and that they have no power to to fight, that their arms are too short, short to box with God. Lord, I pray they would know that. And I pray, Lord, they would see their deep sin and how that has affected them. And I pray, Lord, that they would see the great holiness of God and how much their sin has offended you. Lord, I pray that they would turn and they would see Christ and see Jesus as the most beautiful, most perfect gift they could ever be given or receive. And I ask that they would not reject, but they would run to the cross and they would fall face first before you and say, Jesus, you are all I need. Lord, I thank you for everyone who has shared their testimony tonight. I thank you that there has been so much evidence that you are good. So much evidence that you are gracious and merciful and life-giving and joy-producing. Lord, I pray that all of these testimonies will cause us to be more firmly entrenched in what we know to be true, that you are a loving king. Lord, I pray that we would be full of thankfulness. May this week and this season of our life be one where we are peculiarly different than the world where we are not solely interested in the things that this planet has to offer us or the system of this world has to offer us or the entertainment has to offer us. Lord, I just thank you that we can be fulfilled and joyful and thankful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that the people in this room who are saved would be the most thankful people in this planet. Lord, we would be displaying what it looks like to rejoice in you at all times. And may the world see that and question why it is that we have such joy. Lord, may that be a good testimony to those who don't yet know you. Lord, I pray for the remainder of our time together tonight, that you would please be blessed as you bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.